I'm going to start my sermon by sharing with you a funny little picture. Could you give me the next slide, please, Paula? Some of you have seen this one. Uh, I can tell it's one of those pictures that's uh, called an optical illusion. And one of the things that you learn from looking at this picture is you're going to see probably one of two things. Either you're going to see a duck. You can see his bill off to the left. He's a duck looking to the left. Or you see a cute little bunny. And on the left is his floppy little ears, and on the right is his nose. Now, it's interesting that when social scientists discovered this illusion, it actually comes from the 19th century. What they have done research on is, is that oftentimes what you get out of this picture depends on what you've been thinking about before. So oddly enough, at Easter time, and this is a documented fact, at Easter time, when people are thinking about Easter bunnies, people are more likely to see a rabbit. In the fall, this time of year, when ducks are, are honking on their way flying south, you're more likely to see a duck. The majority of people see a duck on first. Either way, the important point about this picture is the picture doesn't change at all. How we perceive the picture changes based on our approach to the picture. It's all about us and our opinion of the picture and the filters we use to look at it. You can go on to the next slide. You'll be looking at it all during my sermon if I don't move it to a blank slide. So why I mention that is not just to give you something to uh, look at that's entertaining. Why I mention that, can you go back one? It's right there. When you, um, just leave it there, it's all fine. Lost my train of thought. No, no, no ducks. Um, okay, yes, okay, the picture. So why I mention that picture is because I think that the gospel lesson today, Jesus' parable, in many ways is just like that picture. Because when you hear this story, the story doesn't change, but your perception and your attitude and your reaction to this story changes an awful lot based not on what Jesus says, but based on where you're coming from and what your approach to this parable is. I would suggest that most people, when they listen to this parable, don't come off with their shrugging their shoulders and saying, I don't really know what to make of it. You're either a person who comes to this parable and leaves thinking, this is outrageous and it grinds my gears. Or you're thinking, what a wonderful story that makes me feel comforted and hopeful inside. I want to explain why that is, but I'd like to suggest to you that it's so important for us to understand and examine our own approach and our attitude to this, because this isn't just a story Jesus tells. What he says at the beginning is, the kingdom of heaven is like this story. And so your approach to this story, if you end this story feeling angry and grumbling, the danger is, Jesus says, that that will also be your approach to the kingdom of heaven, and you need to do a much better job of turning from being a hater into being a lover. Now, why do we have those two strong reactions? Well, it's a pretty basic story, but it's the end that I think is the kicker. When we find this story begins, we have a landowner who owns a vineyard. And like often happens in agricultural communities, they need seasonal day laborers when it's harvest season or times where there's lots of work. So the landowner goes to the center of town at the beginning of the day. So they ordered their system a little bit different then. We translated it at the beginning of the day, but usually they do it as a sort of a 12-hour day from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. And so what you're looking at here is that at 6 in the morning, he goes and he says, anybody want to come to my vineyard and I'll pay you the usual daily wage. Um, the daily wage was a, a coin called a denarius, and that was a typical wage for a day laborer's work. 
And he says, I'll pay you a denarius. That's a usual wage. And they say, that's fine. That's a fair deal. That's exactly what we would expect. So they go off to the vineyard. But comes back three hours later, about nine o'clock. And he says, I need more laborers or I want more laborers for my vineyard. And he says, interestingly enough, he doesn't say uh, what he's going to give them. He just says, I'll pay you. And they say, sure, I'll come. And then at 12 o'clock and then 3 o'clock he comes. And then finally at 5 o'clock, an hour before quitting time, he comes back to the same place and he finds people standing there. And he says, what are you, what are you doing? And they said, well, we don't have anywhere to work. And he says, well, come and work with me and I'll pay you uh, something, uh, something fair. And so they all go and they work. And so at the end of the day, and this is how Jesus orders the story to really emphasize our reaction to it. He says, start paying the last workers first. So the last worker is the guy who did one hour come, and who knows what they're expecting, but what they're getting is they're paid a full day's wage for just one hour's work. And we go through the story until finally we get to the people who have been there all day, and they've noticed how generous the landowner is with these people. And so probably pretty naturally they think, I'm going to get a bonus here. But no, they get the day's wage just like it had been agreed upon at the beginning of the day. Now, I got to be honest with you, I could wish I could say, oh, Jesus, tell us the point, and it's very easy for me to swallow. I look at this story, and no matter how many times I've heard it and preached on it, my reaction is always the same. It's the same as when one of my uh, daughters sits down and looks at her sister's plate, and she says, that's not fair. And that's a pretty typical response amongst children, but it is also a response I have as an adult. When I look at this, my thought is, it is not fair that these people worked for 12 hours and they get paid the same as the guy who works one hour. That is not a way to run a business. It is not fair. Now, here's the interesting thing about this story. You leave outraged because that's true. It's not the way to run a business. I don't think this is the Jesus school of management, you know, 101, where he's saying this is how you run your vineyard business. Instead, Jesus says this is the way God runs his kingdom business. And when you look at this story and saying, this is not fair, and then you look at how these people are getting paid for only one hour's work and you are grumbling about it, Jesus says the problem isn't that you should be adopting these business principles. He's saying that if you find this story deeply unfair, you're going to find the kingdom of God deeply unfair. And you are not going to like the God you are called to serve because the God you are called to serve acts like this landowner does. He is generous to people who don't deserve it. Now, why is that even a danger, right? I mean, the guys worked and they got paid. Let him grumble and complain, right? Well, actually, I think Jesus is telling this story not just as a standalone story, but he's quite aware that he's telling this story after something important has just happened. I don't know why the lectionary does this, which is the appointed readings for Sundays, but we left off in chapter 18, and it leaps over chapter 19 in Matthew and lands on chapter 20, and we start this story. And I suspect that they didn't do chapter 19 because it tells another story that grinds my gears. Right before this story, Jesus encounters a rich young man. And this rich young man comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, uh, what do the commandments say? Uh, And he says, well, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not, you know, covet. And and he says, uh, you know, I've been following them since my youth. Is there anything more? You know, I'm I'm really playing my A game here. But, you know, I might, you know, everybody could use a little bit of a tweak here and there. So you got a little bit of nugget of wisdom for me, Jesus, about how to to move along in my path and and guarantee that I'm going to get a great payout from the Lord. Jesus says, well, there's just one tiny little thing you need to do. 
It's, it's really nothing, but you've just got to take all of that fabulous wealth you have and give it away to poor people and come and follow me. Well, needless to say, the man's pretty sad, and he leaves very sad, because that is not what he wanted Jesus to tell him. Interesting that at the end of that story, Jesus says the very opposite of what he says, or the inverted of what he says at the end of this story. At the end of that story, Jesus says, many who are first shall be last, and many who are last shall be first. At the end of this parable we heard today, Jesus says, many who are last shall be first, and many first shall be last. I think that highlights for us, and this says something really important. Many who are first, who pride themselves at being in the front of the line, are actually people who do not realize that they're at the back of the line, and that there's actually an intimate connection between how you view yourself and how you actually have standing in God's kingdom. You see, this man thought of himself as the first, at the front of the line. He thought of himself as one of those guys who's been working in the vineyard all day and has earned a good wage from the landowner. But Jesus says, you've been working hard at all these things, congratulating yourself on all the things you're doing right, but while you have been so focused on your rightness, there is a terrible sin that has been clawing its way into your soul, and it is dragging you down. And if you don't do something about it, it will drag you down to your destruction because while you've been congratulating yourself on all your achievements, you've not noticed that greed has entered your soul and it has a firm hold on you. The frank, frank truth is that this man loved money more than he loved God. And he was so busy doing all the commandments, he didn't have the introspection and wisdom to realize that that was the case. And Jesus says, your soul is in grave danger. And if you don't get rid of this, you will find yourself perhaps greedily working your way out of the kingdom of God. That man who thought he was first was in fact last. We get irritated at this story, I think, at least in my own uh, experience. I get irritated with this parable because I immediately identify with the people who are first. Well, God, I mean, I've been a Christian most of my life. I'm pretty you know, committed, a professional Christian, right? I mean, I do an awful lot. I haven't murdered. I haven't committed adultery. I do covet a little bit now and then. But, you know, those sorts of things are things you can cover up. They don't seem so bad in the big scheme of things. I look at this and I think, that's not fair because I am thinking, I want God to be fair. I am first. I want to be paid like I'm first. One of the great dangers of seeing this is that, in fact, there are many ways in which we are actually operating as last and not realizing it because we're so busy congratulating ourselves on being first. How often it is do we see people who are leaders in the church or people who are, you know, prime people in the community who've done great things, who have a long pedigree, who have a spectacular fall. A spectacular fall because something that they were blind to, that they ignored, that they made light of, slowly grabbing a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more of their life until they stumble and they fall. I can't remember where I read this, otherwise I would quote it directly, but I remember reading a story a few years ago. It was in my last parish, so a good 10 years ago, and you'll have to forgive the fuzziness of my memory. But it was about a prominent citizen, and I think it was North Carolina, who was a judge. He was a person who was outstanding in his community service and a person who had retired with honor and feted with the gold watch and everybody thought well of him. But as he got older and was starting to lose his ability to drive, he refused to let go of his license. One day, he hit somebody. And not only did he hit somebody, he took off and didn't stay to report the accident. Here is a man who had spent 
decades of service, decades at the top of his game, decades at the very front of the line, and at the last, at the finish line, he stumbles and falls. And that person who thought he was first is suddenly in the position of not being paid for what he earned, but in the position of saying to God, pay me even though I know I didn't earn it. One of the great dangers of believing that you're first is not only that you miss out on the reality of what is present in you. Perhaps there's a dark force working on you're not aware of. The problem is also that if that dark force really does trip you up and you find yourself at the bottom and you have spent your entire life congratulating yourself and saying, God, I want what I have earned and I'm angry about people who get more than they deserve. And you find yourself in the place where you need to get something you don't deserve. It's very hard to take it. I think we've all been in the experience where a person with a massive hole that they're not paying attention to will not get help, whether it's an addiction or marriage counseling or who knows what, they will not do it because their pride will not let themselves be humbled to get the help that they need. Well, what they need more than anything is grace. Somebody to say, you really messed up. I'm not going to sugarcoat it, but I'm here to help you. Jesus says, many who are first shall be last because many who are first are in fact dwelling at the back of the line and they do not realize it. And when they're finally opened in their eyes and kicked to the back, they cannot stand it and will not remain in the vineyard to receive the wage that they do not deserve. Another sad fact is, so much of their life because they consider themselves first, they spent their lives looking down on those they consider the last. How often has it happened in the history of the church that somebody trips and falls. You know, maybe a teenager gets pregnant or maybe you uh, messed up your life because you got trapped in the bottle and you realize you're an alcoholic or something has happened majorly. And so you think, man, I really need help. I need God's grace. And you step through the doors of a church and then everybody kind of puts up their nose a little bit and says, oh, it's her coming. Hmm? And yes, we're kind because Jesus says we're supposed to, but all the while we grit our teeth and give you uh, kindness because we're forced to, and everybody knows it, and two Sundays later, they're gone, never to come back. I come to a place for grace, but I find none of it because everybody thinks they're first and I'm last, and I don't deserve generosity and grace. That breaks God's heart. Jesus tells this story, and it makes us angry because we think we're in the first, but it's meant to challenge us and ask, is that really how we want God to operate? Isn't it actually pretty good news that it's not how God, that God operates this way rather than the way of the world? Here's the last thing that I want to end with, and I think it's also just as important. It's a telling thing going on here that this landowner goes, and he's not only generous, and he, he goes to the first people, and he says, here's a contract, you do this service, and I'll pay you this fee. But then the other people, he doesn't make a contract with. In fact, what does he say when those people who are uh, the last, he says, why are you standing here idle all day? And they say to him, because no one's hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard say what he's going to pay him. He just says, go into the vineyard. What are they relying on when they do that? They're just relying on his grace. They know that they haven't done enough work to merit anything. They're hoping that this guy is generous, and of course, he is. When the first people come, they say, look, here's the contract, and I think that the contract didn't work very well. The fee I'm getting does not correspond with the service I gave. But when the landowner says this, what is, or uh, pays out, how he responds is this way. And this is really interesting. He replied to one of them, he said, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Notice that word, friend? 
this guy is not some schmuck at the bottom of the rung. He is a landowner that has enough land so that he gets waves and waves and waves of laborers. And he's rich enough to be able to shower uh, full day's wages on people who didn't earn it. This is a big shot. And even in our world today, of course, you, you don't have that experience with big shots. You know, when I order something from Amazon, Jeff Bezos doesn't phone me up and say, friend, thanks for ordering. I'm so glad. Nobody expects that. He's high and mighty, and I'm lowly, and I spend a few bucks on a book or whatever it is. Well, so what? But this guy, who is a great landowner, comes and says, friend. What it suggests is, is that these guys have a mindset not only that says I'm first and I deserve more than the last, they have a mindset that says this is all about contractual obligations, a business relationship. And the landowner says, no, 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 no. This is actually a friendship relationship. This is how I treat my friends. I give them generously, not because they've earned it, but because they're my friends and I want them to join me in the work of the vineyard. And so often we see the Lord's service as back breaking, the sun is beating, I'm working hard and I better get a good day off when the kingdom of God comes in strength. That's the wrong way of looking at it. Why does God call us to his vineyard? It's not because God can't do it himself. He does it for the same reason that I asked my kid to help me make, make supper. I can cut it faster, those onions. I can do all those things faster and probably better. I just like being with her. And that's the reward. You know, I had the blessing just a, a last month of celebrating my 20th anniversary. And so it was great. Margo was able to preside. We wanted to have a big party, but of course the quarantine meant we couldn't. And anyway, I had mentioned this to our new bishop and said, you know, would it be okay if I have a little little service here at, at church. And he said, well, why don't you use the cathedral? Nobody's using it. So I got to have it at the cathedral, which was great. And it was just a few people, really small, and, and Margot presided at that uh, renewal of, of vows service, which is great. And we went and we had a, a little supper afterwards at a local restaurant. We got drenching rain that day, of course, so we all got completely soaked like rats, but that's okay. We had a good time. So imagine at the end of that, when Tobia and I are talking about the day, wasn't that great? It was good to see a couple friends, so nice to have a service again. It was great Margo could do this. And then I turn to her and say, oh, yeah, it was great. Now, where's my check? And, and she says, what? Well, I know you've got some wealthy relatives. I mean, why do you think I've been putting up with you for 20 years? I, I need to get a payout. Well, if she restrained herself and didn't stab me in the eyeball, she would have said, you've got it wrong. Why we celebrate 20 years is not because 20 years so that I can get the girl's money. You celebrate 20 years because you got the girl. The whole thing is about the relationship. It's not about the payout afterwards. The payout is the relationship. And I think that's exactly what God is saying here. Jesus is saying, like, don't look at the service of the Lord as if it's just back-breaking, tooth-grinding labor, and you finally put up with all of this so that you can get a payout and a ticket to heaven. Jesus says, I call you into service in the, in the service of the Lord because it's its own reward. Like how many people live through life feeling purposeless, meaningless? We read about statistics all the time and the loneliness that many people have really intensified in this time of pandemic. And I'm not denying it. It strikes all of us, even faithful Christians. But what God gives us is a priceless gift. He says, the things you are doing, I'm calling you to do, are inherently purposeful and meaningful. You may not find your job meaningful, but I can tell you what is. The service you give to your children, the service you give to your church, the service you give to your neighbors. All of these things are things that have meaning because they make a difference in God's kingdom. And whether you do an hour's worth of work 
or you're the most highly effective uh, worker in my vineyard, the reward is the same. You get to work in God's vineyard. That is a priceless gift in a world that is struggling and and feeling purposeless and and is turning to terrible things like violence we see all around. What's wonderful about the service of the Lord is it's the service of the Lord alongside the Lord in his vineyard. So what do we get out of this? Remember, Jesus says, don't get angry at the story. Look at it and say, isn't it a wonderful thing that God is like this? I don't have to worry whether I'm first or third or last in the line. It doesn't really matter. The relationship I have with God is such that I am blessed whether I'm deeply reliant on God's grace or I'm standing in my own a bit. Either way, it doesn't matter. You don't have to examine yourself and wonder if you've earned it. It's just a matter of God's generosity blessing you. And secondly, remember what God calls you to do as tough as it may seem. He calls you not just because it needs to be done. He calls you because he knows that this is something that will bless you and bless your life. So let's serve the Lord in his vineyard as we go out into the world. And let's do it not grumbling at God's generosity, but joyful at the fact that he has said, yeah, I can see you're pretty rough around the edges, but I still want you to be with me in the vineyard because I love you. I like spending time with you. I know it's going to be good for you. I think that's good news. So let's pray. Lord our God, we thank you for your blessings. They are many. Sometimes those blessings, however, are not obviously blessings. We can grumble and complain at the work we have to do, and we can also sometimes grumble and complain that you seem to be more generous to other people than you are to us. Help us remember that's just not the way it is. You love us. You love us so dearly, O Lord, that you call us to work in your vineyard because you just want us to be with us, and you know it's good for us. And also you call us to work in your vineyard knowing that whether we mess up in picking the grapes or whether we do a great job at it, we don't have to worry you're going to cast us out. Help us to do a better job picking the grapes. We want to make you proud of us. But while we stumble and fall and don't do such a great job, help us to remember you won't cast us out. But instead, we'll walk beside us, shape our hands and our work so that we grow better day by day if only we let you. Make us, O Lord, receptive to your grace and help us, O Lord, to reflect that grace to the world that needs it. Amen.